I'm Jorge Salazar, reporting from the Texas Advanced Computing Center. Scientists predict they'll discover a million galaxies far, far away before the year 2020, thanks to a monumental mapping of the night sky in search of a mysterious force. That's according to scientists working on HETDEX, the Hobby Eberly Telescope Dark Energy Experiment. And they're going to transform the big data from galaxy spectra billions of light years away into meaningful discoveries with the help of the Wrangler Data Intensive Supercomputer here at TAC. I visited the office of Stephen Finkelstein, one of the lead scientists working on HETDEX. Dr. Finkelstein is an assistant professor in the Department of Astronomy at the University of Texas at Austin. Finkelstein spoke with me about HETDEX and Wrangler. HETDEX is basically one of the largest galaxy surveys that will ever be done. And it's a particular type of galaxy survey where we're taking spectroscopy. And so instead of just taking an image of a galaxy and seeing what it looks like, we're taking the light from a galaxy and spreading it out into its component colors in a process called spectroscopy, which is very commonly used to learn about distant objects. But instead of looking at one object at a time, we have the capability to look at thousands of objects at one time. And that's because we're building, currently in this building we're sitting in right now, the world's largest spectrograph called VIRUS, which stands for Visible Integral Field Replicable Unit Spectrograph, VIRUS. That instrument will shortly, within a few months, be put on the Hobby Eberly Telescope at McDonald Observatory in West Texas. And with that, we can scan a very large region of the sky and use spectroscopy to discover, uh, as I said, thousands of galaxies at once. And not only will we find them, but because we're splitting that light up, we'll actually be able to measure the distance to them instantaneously. So we'll find a galaxy where it is and know its distance right away. And that is powerful for many reasons, but the primary goal of this is to make a very detailed map of the distant universe. And so if we know the position on the sky and the distance away from us, we have a three-dimensional position to all of these galaxies we'll find. And over the three years of our main survey, we'll find about one million galaxies in the distant universe. And they're so far away that we're seeing them as they were just a few billion years after the Big Bang, or their light has been traveling to us for over 10 billion years. And so we're looking very, very far back into the past. And again, the main goal with this map is to study dark energy. And so dark energy is some, something that exists in the universe. We think it's everywhere. We have no idea what it is, and we don't really know um, whether it changes with time. And so dark energy was discovered by the fact that if you study the expansion of the universe, the universe is expanding. We've known this for almost a century. And it's, it's sort of the, this relic expansion from the Big Bang. The universe formed in this big explosion, and everything's been moving away ever since. But about two decades ago, some astronomers set out to figure out how fast that expansion was slowing down. It was thought, and, and we know that matter attracts other matter through gravity. And so because we thought all there was in the universe was matter, be it dark matter or regular matter, it all interacts gravitationally, the expansion should have been slowing down. Galaxies should have started moving back together. And so they set out to measure this parameter called the deceleration parameter. And a positive value of the deceleration parameter tells you how fast the universe is decelerating or slowing down. And what they found was that the deceleration parameter was actually negative, which means that the expansion of the universe is accelerating. It's moving, galaxies are moving faster and faster apart. And this was crazy. We had no idea what this could be. Um, and so it was dubbed dark energy, some, some sort of essence in the universe, some sort of energy, we don't know what it is, that is pushing galaxies farther apart, faster and faster. And uh, this was one observation of how strong it is sort of in the relatively nearby universe. And so one of the big questions is, you know, what is dark energy? One observation you can do to help answer that is, is dark energy the same strength at all times in the universe? So is it just as strong now as it was back close to the Big Bang? 
And so a number of observations have measured how strong dark energy is now. And it encompasses about 70% of the total energy density in the universe. So of all the energy in the universe, about 70% of it is dark energy. About another 25% or so is dark matter. And then the rest are things like gas, stars, people, microphones, these kind of things that we know. And so what we're trying to do is measure how strong is dark energy at some point in the distant past. And uh, if it turns out that it's the same strength it is today, there are a variety of uh, theoretical studies that think they know what it might be. And if we find out that it changes dramatically with time, there are a whole other set of theoretical studies which think they know what it might be. But by doing this observation, we can rule out many, many models that say that either the strength stays the same or it evolves, simply by just doing this measurement and seeing whether it evolves. Would you maybe talk about some of the science challenges that brought you to consider Wrangler that is a data-intensive, high-performance computing system as a system that you want to try some of this science on? Absolutely. And so um, you mentioned data, and that is really the biggest challenge with our project. Big data is sort of a buzzword around some academia or industry these days because the technological ability of the machines, the instruments, the computers we're building allow you to amass so much more data than was ever before possible. And thinking about how astronomers worked 100 years ago, looking through a telescope and drawing what they saw, that was, you know, that piece of paper was one piece of data. We're in a very different regime now. And so it presents a whole new list of challenges. A basic number for head techs is every single night that we observe, and we plan to observe more or less every night for at least three years, we're going to make 200 gigabytes of data. And so a terabyte, more than a terabyte every week. Not only do we need to store it, which is a decent challenge, but we actually need to process it. And so every observation we make, this spectrograph, this virus instrument, is going to take 34,000 spectra. So a spectrum of 34,000 different points in the sky at one time, every six minutes. So we are going to open the shutter of the telescope for six minutes, gather all the photons we get, close it, dump the data to a hard drive, do it again, right? And do that for eight to 12 hours every night, depending on whether we're summer or winter and how dark it is. So what do we do with that data? Well, our primary goal is that every time an image is taken, or every time we, we we'll call it an image, but really it's these 34,000 spectra, while the next image is being taken, that previous image is being transferred up to the Texas Advanced Computing Center onto Wrangler. And then by the time the next image is done, it's free to start transferring that image while it's taking the next one. And so one of the ways we're going to handle this large data volume is essentially to transfer it as it's coming in. We're going to keep another copy on site at McDonald Observatory for some period of time as a safety. But to go from this single image of the sky, we call them shots of the night sky, to galaxy positions and galaxy distances, that needs to be processed. There are a variety of effects that need to be removed. One that's pretty easy to understand is called flat fielding. And so you take an image of the sky, and our camera is not equally sensitive across the whole focal plane. There are some regions that are a little bit more sensitive and some regions that are a little bit less sensitive. And so at the beginning of each night, we will take some calibration images of a uniform light source. And so if your camera was uniformly sensitive, you would have an absolute uniform image of that uniform light source but it's not uniformly sensitive. You'll actually be able to see these little bumps and wiggles or sometimes wavy patterns. And using that calibration image, you actually divide it out of your data and that corrects for this effect. And so that's one of the sort of many different calibration steps we'll do. And so every frame needs to have that, every image we get needs to have that applied to it. 
After we have that, we need to then look for the galaxies themselves, and that's another intensive processing task. And people have been working on the data reduction pipeline and the data processing pipeline for a number of years now. And so we have it in place. It's a software package called Cure, which is sort of a pun off the name of the instrument virus. So we have a cure for the virus. And it's actually a pretty apt name. Cure takes all this raw data from the telescope and essentially will output a list of galaxies. Here's their coordinates in the sky, and here's how far away they are. And so we kind of joke about this, but it's more or less true. Every morning, we should wake up and come into the office and have an email of here are the three, 4,000 galaxies we discovered last night. Here's where they are in the sky, and here's their distances. Now go study dark energy if you want to. Go study the galaxies. Go do whatever you want. Here they are. And so you can imagine that can require an immense amount of computing storage and computing power. And so it was sort of a natural match for TAC for us to be able to make use of those resources. Would you mind maybe divulging a little bit about the status of uh, Hetex right now? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we are definitely gearing up. So we did a pilot survey. Um, it actually ended a few years ago, and we've written a number of science papers actually studying the galaxies from that. But that was basically a proof of concept. Can we use an instrument like this? And we used a much, much smaller spectrograph. Can we build a data pipeline to reduce it? Can we find the galaxies with this technique? And so that was very crucial and showed us that, yes, in fact, we can do this and led us to moving forward with the full experiment. So where are we now? Um, one thing we haven't talked about is the actual telescope itself. So the Hobby Everly Telescope was not suitable for HETEX in its previous incarnation. The mirror is large. The mirror of the telescope is about 10 meters in diameter, which is essentially tied for the largest one in the world. The problem was the field of view, or the area of the sky it can look at at one time, was very small. And we want to do a very large survey, and so we had to upgrade the field of view. And so the Hobby Everly Telescope is just completing what we've called the wide field upgrade. So we are upgrading the field of view to be much wider than it previously was. And uh, like I said, that's about done. So the telescope is almost achieving first light in its new incarnation. And so the instrument for HETEX is not there yet, but they do have some instruments they can test the telescope out, make sure the upgrade went well, make sure the quality of the images it's making are going well. Another key part of the upgrade was, I mentioned the mirror. The mirrors are actually closer to 11 meters in diameter. The light gathering power used to be about the equivalent of a 9.2 meter telescope because the previous cameras only sampled sort of the central 9.2 meters of the full 11 meter dish. And part of the upgrade was actually making that a little bit bigger. And so now we'll get the, uh, the 10 meters, so almost the full total aperture of the telescope. As for the camera, so that's being built here in the RLM building on the campus of UT Austin. They are almost done. And so pretty soon, sometime during this fall semester, we're gonna start shipping the cameras out to McDonald Observatory and start mounting them on the telescope. And so it's pretty interesting. Normal telescope instruments, they're not all that big. You can put them actually on the, like just off the back of the telescope. The light comes in and goes right through into the camera. But virus is actually composed of 150 individual spectrographs. That was the replicable in the name of, of virus. Stands for the fact that we make one and then we make 149 identical things. And that's one way to make a large spectrograph very, very cheaply, is you, you need 150 sets of the same parts. And so once you know what you need, it's a lot cheaper to get all those parts. Uh, and so, but that's a very big instrument. And so it can't be housed actually on behind the telescope, behind the, the focal plane where normal instruments would go. So it's actually, they're gonna be hanging in racks on the side of the telescope. And so they've been installing these big racks on the side of the telescope. And soon in a few months, we'll actually start hanging virus units and hooking them up and starting to take data with them. And so at some point before the end of this year, we will have some data in some spectrographs. We expect the full suite of all 150 spectrographs to be installed 
in, definitely in less than a year, probably by spring of 2016. And we will, if it's early enough, start the survey then. If it's not, our main field is actually not visible during the few months of the summer. If not, we will start sort of full operations in fall of 2016. You've been listening to Stephen Finkelstein of UT Austin. For the Texas Advanced Computing Center, I'm Jorge Salazar.